0: Welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. Um, we're coming to you after the the, the waste of money, the most overspent fortune on the centre forward that has ever been spent in the history of football. Has scored four goals in, I don't know, about 40 minutes against Leipzig. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about... Liverpool five, well, Leipzig 0, Liverpool five, and then we're going to take a look at some of our rivals, if you want to call them that, Spurs and Arsenal, the North London contingent. I've got Andy Bell tonight. Um, Andy, just to kick off with the the friendly earlier on, um, it was a it was a a starting eleven that it meant business, didn't it? It was all the big guns out there.
1: It was and I thought it sort of gave us a bit of an insight into to where Klopp was thinking and um, you know, it was very much a first eleven and then a, a lesser eleven coming off the pit uh, off the bench and then you start to think, you know, is, is Henderson being phased out a little bit more this year? Has he is he starting to think when Nunes that maybe Firmino's gonna start the season while Nunes gets used to it? But I think you can overthink those type of things and realistically we know Jurgen's playing with or he's choosing from well, 16, 17, 18, you could say these days. It can realistically, you're playing the European Cup final, and you know there are the ones that you can actually make a case to start. And yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a good atmosphere. The Leipzig fans were up for it. Loads of Liverpool fans there as well made a good atmosphere and it felt like there was a bit of something about it it felt like you know you go and you play united and there's what three 30 minute teams you play crystal palace and they've only been eight first team players and you really feel like there are open training sessions just to please the fans in that part of the world which is absolutely fine and then they go away to this austria training camp or wherever they are and they always you know the main business then and they're really getting stuck into the fitness and that's when it's less so about fitness and more so about certain tactical ways of playing and fitting things in and yeah, um it was good, good result. They're a good team. Nunez has you know, four goals. That's what one goal for every one hundred and twenty five billion Indian rupees paid or whatever currency we're talking about <laughs> now apparently that's what we do just to make the fees sound really big. Um but yeah, I, I think we were talking the pre pod and I'm, I'm sure we'll 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 dedicate a you know a bit of chat each to, to Nunez. But He he does look untidy, as we were saying. He looks strange. He looks ungainly. Certainly, the keeper should save two of those four goals, but there's another one where it's a really good finish, and I think it's his second goal, where because he has to try and keep himself onside, he really doesn't have the momentum, so he he needed that little burst of pace to get away, and then the finish is perfect. Um, His hat trick goal is just one of those sort of Firmino goals where you're going to get those chances this season through... The great players that are around you, basically, and you're gonna, you know, yeah, you're the to get five goal, or six goal.
0: The Hapset goal, it's 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 a nice stretch leg, and he touches it in, but yeah. actually, if you watch it, the cross takes a nick away from him. And right. Okay, I haven't Hap- noticed that. I, I actually think it's a better finish than people will realise because it looked like a tap and he nearly misses.
1: Yeah, he looked. He looked untidy, didn't it? Because I was literally saying to you earlier on, like, um, obviously we're we're exaggerate when we say this like just the first thing comes into your head but obviously we've paid this much money as much as all these compilations and all that nonsense is, is bullshit you still are a bit worried from what you've seen from him so far and you, you just want that performance that he puts in today to reassure you kind of that no of course he is a brilliant player and he's going to be brilliant for us but like there are still times he's come out he scored four goals and there's still some things he's done which looked absolutely dreadful and I think I was saying to you I'm glad he got those two goals before he did it because that one where it hits his back heel while he's running, that would have gone <laughs> absolutely viral on Twitter if he hadn't have, uh, if he hadn't of, And like, it, at the end of the day, and I don't realize it's a really long answer. I've been talking for ages, but I mentioned it before Klopp came out the interview afterwards and basically said that Nunes had been getting in his own head a little bit over the social media stuff. And you can see it with the kind of passive aggressive tweet he puts out last week where I think he says resilience in, uh, in, in Portuguese. As in and I think it's a photo of him doing the the, the finger shushing sign. So clearly he was getting in his own head a little bit. Um but he's he's come out and he's answered those critics today. And um, you know, it it could have been one of those where he could have got himself into a little bit of a rut if the keeper saves the penalty, which he probably should have. Um, you know, if he if he misses that tap in if it if it hits the post and goes out rather than, than going in and, and maybe if he doesn't get that one at the end. Um, and you're, you're talking about a different story. And we could be a little bit worried that he might take a little bit longer to get used to it. But, I mean, it's fair to say he's arrived now, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, and it it might be stupid saying that, you know, that's important because it's a preseason. Oh, season. yeah. But I genuinely think that is important. Um, These things do matter. Uh, I I don't, for instance, I don't think Mo Salah necessarily has the amazing season that he does the first season he arrives, if he doesn't score that opening goal in the first day of the season, now maybe yeah. maybe he only scores thirty goals instead of forty-four or whatever, but that gets him off and running. It's a huge monkey off his back, especially after everything that's been going on. And yeah, you're right, he does look a little bit untidy at times. Um, but there was a couple of things that stuck out for me. I think there was like a cushion glancing header. Mm-hmm. Out to the left wing, the Carvalho, right into his path, which just oozed class. And I think we, we've bought a, we bought a. It's it's the first time you'd say since, you know, it's it's. You might not even say Luis Suarez. You might say Andy Carroll if you want, but it's the first time we've bought like a proper striker in yep. ten years. Say. Um, yeah, probably
1: Bentegui and all are, are probably the only ones that you could yeah kind of Ballant put Ballant into that Ballant Ballant as well. But yeah, and then Ballant 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 and Ballant. stuff. But yeah, the yeah the the first time you you really get excited about someone the same way you did when Torres came, in. there was just a buzz about the place, wasn't there?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think although the penalty, yeah, the keeper think the keeper does well to get hands to it, and maybe yeah. should have saved it, but he hits it really well. The fourth one, the that's keeper, key as well because
1: as I was saying to you, you know, sometimes your players will will do that exact same penalty. At half the sort of pace and power on the ball. And the fact that he has put a decent bit of power on it when you watch it back is ultimately what takes it. Because at the end of the day, you can't control where the keeper's going to dive, but you can control the percentage that he can get that around the post rather than just putting it in the net. I mean, he should save it doesn't look great on him, but I don't think it's a, a dreadful penalty.
0: Yeah, it's one of those ones where <laughs> if a keeper gets his hands on something, you um, automatically think he should have saved it yeah, but sometimes you sometimes you have to accept that he's actually done well to get his hands on yes. that in the first place. But regardless, the, the the fourth the fourth goalkeeper is is poor. But Nunez is I, I I honestly I'm not entirely sure, but I think he's five shots in 45 minutes. He hits the target with all five. Mm-hmm. The save from the header is excellent. Yes, and the it's other better. four go, and the other four go in. So you know. Yeah, there are definitely elements of his game that he will need to work at. If I remember when Salah arrived, you know, he wasn't really a, a finisher when he arrived at Liverpool. Lots of scruffy goals is what I described him yeah. as when he signed. Think for
1: with Suarez him. for a year and a half, the conversation with Suarez couldn't finish, which when you look back now is
0: lunacy, but yeah, that's why we were talking. Absolutely. And I think we've probably signed Nunez maybe a year and a half earlier than we would normally sign the likes of Armanes and Salas and and Diaz's and Fabinho's and the list goes on where, you know, he's 22, just turned 23, as opposed to 25, 26, mm-hmm. um, which is normally where we kind of pick these players up. So it's encouraging. It absolutely is. An interesting question, Andy, that I want to pose to you. I, I find it interesting that, a lot of talk has been around shape change with the signing of Nunez. Mm-hmm. Given his stylistic presence on the pitch, the sort of player that he is, there's been similarities to Torres. He's been talked about as a one-man front line from, from people in Portugal. But it looks like he's going to have to adapt to us as opposed to us adapting to him, doesn't it? Definitely, and there will always be that
1: fitting in period like some of the even the players that you rattled off there the likes of Fabinho doesn't doesn't really kick a ball for us until around November same with Andy Robertson Robertson comes in and we think oh brilliant we don't have to watch Alberto Moreno anymore and then Moreno plays the first six months of the season is brilliant and Robertson can't get a look in it's,
0: it's funny been, though do you say that and take your point but it hasn't really ever happened with a forward player has it Jada, Salah, Mane, Diaz They've all just walked in and hit and just thrown straight in there, haven't they? Yeah, I
1: think I think I think Tiago's th- thrown straight in and Thiago had to adapt his game because he was used to playing under Pep Guardiola for all his career and having eighty percent of the ball in every match and not having to chase very much. And,
0: serious injury issues there were really serious, having yeah. choice at the time either. Absolutely. But you know, if, if he'd
1: been held back a little bit and and uh, thrown in, like at the same time Robertson and, and Fabinho were, which he was never gonna be done given the magnitude of the sign in, but it might have actually helped him a bit more. And it could be the case for Nunes we've spent uh, well 85 million w- with all the add-ons over six years and if you look you know, obviously we've all seen those swiss ramble threads where they talk about the amortization and basically you, basically the spread that cost over the six years and that's the way that julian ward and jürgen klopp and the club will be looking at this he's here for six years if he takes one year to get going well, that's absolutely fine because we've got Jota, who now knows exactly how we play, and he's going to come in and he's going to score 20 goals next season. Firmino, you know, seems to have uh, upped i think massively upped this game in the last six months. It's not really talked about, but I think Firmino's had some really, really good games, including today. You know, Salah is, uh, is not going anywhere; he'll always score your sort of thirtieth season. And then Diaz, how he's come in. At the like, people want the headlines, and people on Twitter are obviously dead weird and they see 85 million—it's the biggest signing—and we don't really spend that much money and they just want him to feel straight away, and they'll see that if, for example, Firmino does start the first two games of the season, or the first two months of the season even, they'll find that hilarious, and they'll find it, oh, it's a flop and biggest waste of money ever, blah, 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 all that. In reality, this isn't how these highly paid professionals who run the club and who manage the club are thinking about it. They're thinking he's here for six months, and if the best thing to do is to, to hold him back for a couple of months while he really learns the ropes, then that's exactly what they'll do. Um, and I think that, that probably does slightly Play into the fact that he doesn't start today, you know, if I was to ask you right, you know, right now Dave, what percentage chance would you give Firmino starting away to Fulham? What percentage chance would you give Nunez I'd probably give it around 60-40 to Firmino right now. I could be completely wrong on well, it. Why probably a little than that? Yeah. So yeah. So you think you think it's 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 also likely that Nunes doesn't start that. So you know, I think it's you know that that's quite possibly going to happen. Um, you know what I mean. But as we say, he's come in. He's got the goals today. Hopefully that's the mental side of it patched up for him. I say patched up. I'm almost playing into the idea that there ever was a problem. The man played bloody 51 minutes of pre season. Has he? Like he's probably hasn't even played 90 minutes over the course of the three games yet. So you know that's how reactive and weird Twitter is. But that is what we're dealing with ultimately, and it's gotten his head a wee bit. And hopefully that side of it's done now, and he can really just focus on learning the ropes and learning the tactics and learning to become a Jurgen Klopp player, which, as we know, isn't easy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But again i think we're all happier that he scored for them than than if he hadn't um yes. and it gives it gives the twitter dweebs something to kind of fall out with themselves over the season which i'll go on and and look at all the teenagers sending ridiculous messages to each other which always gives me a great deal of entertainment but look the reds we will come to liverpool um probably towards the end of next week once we look at once we look at Manchester City, but before that, we're going to just double up on Spurs and Arsenal here, are the two North London sides. And the Spurs, Spurs are really interesting. Um, they brought in a guy who is—he's a winner, like mm-hmm. he's an absolute winner. Um, he demands massive massive things from his players (laughs) and even more massive things from his chairman and his board to be fair (laughs) but actually this is Spurs um, there's a change there's been a change of tact from Spurs and I don't know whether it's the fact that they've qualified for the Champions League they see that extra revenue there Um, they're maybe getting to see the returns from the new stadium and Ticket sales after COVID, NFL games and and concerts and things like that. But they brought in, uh, what, is it Paratici? I think is the as a director of football who is is very close to Conte, and they backed him in January with a couple of loan signings in. Um, help me, Kulisewski and Bentacor. Yeah. It it made a big difference. We knew there were gaps in that squad, Um but Christ, they've done some business. Um mm-hmm. They seem to be well collecting arseholes by what it would appear. Um fifty seven yeah. half million arsehole number one. Yeah. Basuma, twenty six million. <laughs> we don't know. Allegedly, arsehole number two. Uh, yeah. Allegedly, arsehole number two. Some boy Jed Spence from from. Middlesbrough a right back I think to go along with all of the other right backs Um, and then another right back in Perisic well I think Perisic is probably a left back or left wing back back. uh, yeah whatever he is but it's good business Um, Mm -hmm. and he knows Conte and Conte knows him and then they brought in a left sided centre half which is something in the back three that they were drastically missing last year we're playing Ben Davis there for a lot of the time who have uh, brought in there uh, Langley. Oh, sorry. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Lascelles comes back from loan, and they've made the signings of Kulasessy and Bentecourt permanent. The only outgoings are are Bergwijn for around about thirty million, and your know, man Carter Victor, who I think was on loan at Middlesbrough last year. If I'm Celtic. right. Celtic last year, correct? Well done. You would know. I would not. <laughs> um, but you know, I think. If you want to talk about winning the transfer window as people often do that is unusually high spending and what looks to be fairly sensible business from Spurs given the the gaps in their squad and players to, players to fit the system specifically designed by the manager it's very un, it's very on Spurs isn't it
1: Massively, and I think you're obviously wanting to talk about Spurs and Arsenal in this podcast, and I hope you're not wanting to do fifty-fifty because I have about ten times more that I can say and would say about Spurs than I would about Arsenal. To be honest, I know you're obviously famously um, more you have more, more confidence, team. more confidence in Arsenal than the vast majority of people, including Arsenal supporters, including Miguel Arteta himself. To be honest, um, but we can come on to talk about that. Yeah. I don't think that anyone is going to challenge us in City for the league over 38 games, because as we've talked about many times before, it's just a level which is unparalleled. And you're talking about the likes of the Chelsea team last year, the likes of the Spurs team this year, who in a normal season five years ago, 100% you'd say they could win the league. Um, but I just think that that level is, is something that we haven't really seen before and we're not going to see again. But if there is... Going to be a team that comes out of the blue and kind of does what Chelsea does, what Chelsea do for the first six months of the season over the course of the season. I think it definitely are, is Spurs that are clearly the, the third best um, team in the league right now. If the, all the there's question marks about players gelling, and we've all seen loads of players come in for big money, and it just hasn't worked the way everyone thinks it will, that could happen. But the Conte factor is the biggest thing. You say for me that he, he is a winner. He's Famously, can only really do a maximum of two or three years at a club, where apparently it's just like the Royal Navy. It's regimented. The diet is is so strict.
0: It's um. He's new. He's new school. Mourinho almost isn't he? Completely. The players not don't enjoy. quite as toxic, but
1: but I I I'd, I'd almost more compare him to Benitez in the way that like Jared and Carragher will always come out and say they didn't enjoy Benitez's methods. They didn't enjoy training, and he wasn't even like that really personable guy to them, but they knew they had to do it to win. I think that's what it is with Spurs. But the thing is, like, it's really, really like that with Conte. The extent where, like, Everyone is just so pissed off at him by the end of those three years that it's just complete burnout. And you, you see that with, uh, I guess, and you could use this as an appraisal of him as a manager in the same way that like Sir Alex Ferguson left David Moyes with an absolutely shite squad. You know, is part of your legacy as a manager how the other person comes in after you if you leave the team in a state? You know, is that, a, is that a criticism of you or is it not your problem anymore? I don't know, but all I'm worried about is what he does when he's here. Um, and in terms of the Conte cycle, you'd think... What, does he come in around like November time? Yeah, he does. Nuno, uh, Nuno gets sacked really early, doesn't he? So yeah, you know this is going to be the peak of Spurs of of Spurs under Conte, and you know they and, take points off I us. I think
0: now. you know they what they, they beat City twice, they draw yep. with us twice. Yep. Um,
1: yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was replicated next season. I'm more concerned about us. I'm more concerned about them taking points off us in the games we play them more than I am about them racking up enough points to hit a 90 total and challenge us City. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, but
1: in, ter- in terms of the... Uh, uh, I, 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 I obviously realise we well, haven't really talked about what we're going to talk about here, so I could sort of fit everything in, but I assume you want to sort of lead it in a certain
0: direction, so work away. Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, if you talk about Conte, um, like, this is a guy that won the league with Chelsea with Victor Moses playing right wing back. That's right. Yeah. Do you know? Um, he picks up Ashley Young at Inter Milan and goes and win, wins the league with him for the first time since Mourinho won the league. Um, a, a notoriously basket case club. Um, mm. and he is very demanding. And we we heard, you know, last year, <laughs> one week he's coming out saying this is the, this is the best squad of players I've ever had, and then the next week he's coming out and telling people that he needs at least six signings in order to make this work. And it's like, it's, I'd love to know what he's saying to, I'd love to know what he's saying to the players when he's making those comments about what new signings. I'd love to know what he's saying to the board when he's coming out saying positive things about the players, you know, what are those conversations like internally? I think it's really, really fascinating, but I think the fact remains that this Spurs side is set up for him um, to go and succeed. He's got pace and attack. He's got arguably the best number nine in the Premier League. Yep. Um,
1: in the world even, possibly?
0: Possibly. People will point to Benzema. Benzema, Lewandowski, yeah. Benzema, Lewandowski, but certainly top three. Um, yeah. He has the top goal scorer from open play in Son in the Premier League last year. Uh, and this side and the weapons that he has absolutely lend themselves to his style of football, where he wants to sit deep. um, He wants to hit you on the break. He wants to use Kane like he used Lukaku with... Pace, breaking beyond the lines, solid, solid defensive unit, which is m- majestically well-drilled. But I think you're right in what you're saying. Yes, they will beat the majority of sides. They will certainly do more damage against the top sides. Than, and if you want to put it this way, I think if you do that top six league at the end yeah, of the they season, could win it, Yeah, there's every chance they're going to win it. But I don't think that they are... I don't think they are um, they have enough strings to their bow to go and do to other teams what they want to do to the likes of City or what City and Liverpool need to do to them to break a team down, to be patient, to pass the ball about, create space and they'll win the majority of their games probably, but I don't think, to the same level as you're saying that the Leicester City and the Repura wanna do. And the game in the Premier League with those two sides has evolved from when Conte won the league with Chelsea.
1: And I think just to throw in the point that really, really boils the piss of United supporters. Um if they were up against Sir Alex Ferguson's United, they would have challenged them for it every year that, that United won the league.
0: Absolutely. And Vengers and Zangers Arsenal and probably yeah. Marine Chelsea as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 that, the Spurs, the, in that era, Spurs the Spurs team would be challenging for the league and um and, and that is the reality of it. It's not to as much as it sort of is, but it's not to, to sort of Cast any aspersions cast upon like, what the Alex Ferguson did; it was phenomenal. But the, the the quality of these two teams is just is just different. And maybe you'd have had one team at that level that were that good, but you would never have had the two going at the rate that Liverpool and City have for the last five or six years, barring maybe one season off for each. But just dead quick. on the first, I think, the first thing you said in your point there it was about like content, how's he sort of selling it to the players, given he's saying this one week and the other the next week he needs basically a full revamp. I think. Everyone just accepts players, himself, management, you know, CEO, Daniel Levy. Everyone just accepts that he's office head, right? And you're not going to have like a... It's not like the kind of dumb thing these days like at Liverpool where it's a culture from top to bottom about how we do things. And we all we, we all knew like the new dickhead rule. And I think Roger started doing it when he came to Liverpool. He'd always meet with the players extensively before he signed them and make sure they fit into the dressing room. If you're trying to create a positive non-toxic culture around your dressing room. You're not signing Richarlison, okay? He does not care about any of that. He's going to do it differently. He knows that he's not going to be able to just do the same thing that Man City and Liverpool do and try and do it because Liverpool and Man City are five or six years ahead of the two best coaches and if you're trying to replicate that, you're just going to be a worse version of it and you're not going to get anything like what you're, you're trying to do. So you need to try and do the other thing um, and try and be unique in that way and I think that's exactly what he is doing. Um, Son and Kane are so intelligent aren't they like our high line last year was n- very rarely bleached bleached breached very rarely breached but in that first game we play them down at, at um, whatever they call White Hart Lane now they absolutely terrorise Kanata I don't know I was down at the game that day and it was mad how and I, don't, I don't think Van Dyke
0: plays that game though does he and we do have a midfield of I think of Tyler Morton, Morton yeah, plays that's right
1: I think you're right. Yes. Canathie definitely play. Yeah, don't actually remember Van Dyke playing that day. Yeah, so, I yeah. so yeah. Think, yeah, it was yeah. thrown together a little bit. But in terms of the fact that, you know, I don't know, your average sort of striker who tries to get in behind and isn't that intelligent. The first one that comes to mind is Chiro Mobile. I don't know why. But, you know, that type of player is always going to make the runs in behind and seven times out of ten he's going to be called offside and he's going to do everyone's it's, heads it's,
0: in. We, we talked to him earlier on. It's Pippo and Zaggy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, 99 times out of 100 against Liverpool if you, you either he's going to be offside or if he's done well enough to keep himself onside then the ball's going to run through to the keepers. he can't get onto it and that's what normally happens against Liverpool but Son and Kane were so intelligent in the little flicks around the corner and the wavelength that they're on that they were able to just find because neither of them are like lightning quick but that intelligence was able to just get them into those areas I think Ali plays well that day and they should probably beat us. Um, was how I came away thinking about that. But then you always look past Son and Kane, and I really think now, like even though we all take the piss out of Richarlison, and and you know Kulisevsky's come in and done well, like they're not gonna be winning Ballon d'Ors anytime soon. But it's a step up on like Mora and Bergvine and Luchessio and those other players who was just like Liverpool with the front three for so many years, just such a massive drop off from what they were having and playing week in week out with 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 Son and Kane. So they've got that in, as you say, they've got they've got a big twenty right backs now. Um, Longley will not do them any harm. I think the guy Romero has been really, really good. I know he's not a new sign in, but like last year, he was phenomenal for them. They really rate him. And uh, Eve Basuma is someone is someone who I've rated for ages, and I would have really loved us to sign pre um allegations. Obviously, we don't need to make that caveat every time we talk about him, but yeah. You know, he's um I he's, do think though that's he's
0: the player that they I think that's the player that they have been missing since they lost uh Michel Dembele. Yeah. Um I think they thought they had it with and Don But who's actually back from alone now, but I can't see him getting along with Conte. No, I, I, I can I can see his, his and Conte's relationship being as good as as good as his and Marino's relationship was. Yeah. Um but Dembele was such a pivotal, underrated part of that Spurs team under Pochettino that was so successful. And when he moved on, he was never replaced. They were throwing players in there like Harry Winks and Oliver Skip and, and boys yes. like this. And they're just not up to that level. Basuma is somebody who, as much as you want to talk about them them signing the likes of Richarlison, the difference Kulisevsky's made, if they have a midfield Of who Bentacor, Basuma, and I don't know who else plays in Spurs midfield. I presume it's somebody who's half decent. Um, I don't know why my mind's gone blank as well. Yeah, but Um, those those two and another, that is a massive upgrade on where they were, certainly last season, but massively. From two seasons ago. Um, yes, you got, um,
1: uh, what's his name again? I've just clicked off him. Um, Hoiberg, he's decent. So you know, there you go. One you know. dimensional, but decent. Eric Dyer, um Winks, still knocking around. Skip, Lassell. So yeah, to be fair, actually, Hoiberg's the only real sort of nailed on one there, but yeah, they're, you know. But you brought so in Basuma. But Basuma's that type of player that can bridge the gap, you know, if anyone can. It's that type of player that can bridge a gap from a from a Spurs to a Liverpool or Man City, because somebody like that who can just you can come in and they can be world class at doing what he does and he's unique in what he does.
0: Like that's a very focal you know, Jurgen Klopp, midfield three, if you completely.
1: want I'm I'm really surprised. Well, I think we were trying to sign him, but like just to make the contrast, are we second to Arsenal? I know we're not going to come on to talk about them yet, but just signing Man City's second choice striker who I think will do well for them. But if you're trying to get in the top four, you're trying to bridge that gap to Liverpool and Man City, signing the rejects isn't gonna do it. You know what I mean? Signing a player like Basuma, who's a little bit unique, um, a little bit, you know, unusual in in terms of like, there's very few players like him, and doing what he does can get about, can press, can can almost change your style completely. That's the type of signing that they need, and that's probably it's not going to catch the eye the most, but probably is the best signing out of those there. I think.
0: Yeah, I do think Basuma is the one that will make the most difference to them. I think that was the biggest gap, the biggest weakness in their squad, Um, I think they could probably do with one more in there Um, but it's certainly a start and I think Bentecourt a nice, neat, tidy player Um, maybe could be more physical but you know, Hoiberg's got all of that that Bentecourt doesn't so you know, there's a very very good probably first 15 there, beyond that I think Again you are kind of wading into the Oliver Skips and the what do you call him that what do you call him that was um Mourinho's mctominy at Spurs tang Tanganga, yeah. Uh, Tanganga, you know. Yeah, yeah, Boys like this. And and you know what, they're fine. They're probably bottom half Premier League championship players, you know.
1: They're the type of players that you see in Man City's bench every week because at the end of the day they're picking from fifth sixteen as well.
0: Yeah, that yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Um the type of players that you see playing for I don't know, we tried this earlier on, Newcastle every week. Yeah. But again, as I've said, Conte seems to be able to get things out of players that nobody else can and, and the Victor Victor Moses playing a right wing back. Is you know, isn't it bachwai that scores the goal that wins yes. in the league? You know right. you know, Conte seems to be able to find something, and it's a bit clop where you find something in a player's skill set that elevates them to another level. Um it's they're not world class, but he can make them play to a level. That is well above their natural ability because of the system that he uses, the instructions that he's given them and the players that he fits around them. So I wouldn't be surprised if Spurs are maybe kind of there and thereabouts up to a point this season. Um, But they do. Do they look like the third best team in the league at the minute? Do you think so?
1: I think so, yeah. I think
0: Chelsea are off their heads. <laughs> I thought so too, but Koulibaly and I think Koundé is two centre halves. That's yeah. that's a big glaring hole which has been been filled by quality and experience there. So I don't know, are, are Chelsea is are, are Chelsea that far ahead of Spurs? I don't know. What's your opinion?
1: No, I think I think Spurs are definitely ahead of Chelsea now. I think with with Tuchel, it's only going one way, to be honest. Um, everyone knows he knows his football. Everyone knows he has that um, what is it called? Juego de to position on say in Spanish? Well, I don't know how to translate positional play. I think Guardiola is really good on anyway. Um, and Tuchel sort of like is is understudying that and is, has learnt the game really well. And you can see that they're 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 not riding the crest of a wave for a year when he comes in. It's whatever that is times a million because they come in to win the Champions League and then. For a while in the Premier League, they look absolutely invincible, and we're all having these conversations about whether, you know, whether it's between us and Chelsea this year rather than us and Man City. And it always seems to be that conversation, like early on in the season when City aren't flying quite as much. And I always maintain City are the ones to beat, and it always, or near more or less always turns out to be true. But you know, I think Tuchel turns it round now because of basically the things everyone's been saying out about, about him for ages, about the mal-management, about how he manages the club, manages the culture. And once it goes toxic for him, as it does for most people in management, um, there's no real coming back from it. So that's why I don't think he's going to do much with him this year. It also just stinks a little bit of like what we did when we sold Suarez or what Spurs did when they sold Bale, where they're just signing loads and loads and loads of players.
0: And well, that's what Chelsea have always done.
1: But it, it doesn't seem to be any thought behind it. Like it strikes very much of just hypothetically a random American fellow who's come in with a load of money and is trying to um, run the club by himself, despite having no um, experience in any of it. Like that whole story, and, and me and Jay did it, in the, in the podcast we did a few weeks ago, where we talked about Chelsea, and that, this was before they signed like Sterling and all those, and and before like City had sold the other players. But I think yeah. I think that's the thing with Chelsea, whereas with Spurs, I can see there's a little bit more of a method behind it. Don't get me wrong, you know, will Conte be still there in two years' time? Absolutely not. Will it have gone tits up in the most horrible way imaginable in two years' time? Absolutely it will have. I'm absolutely sure of that. But I'm not absolutely sure on what they're going to do this season. There could be anything. Um, And I think, you know, it could go badly wrong. There's signed a lot of players. That'll take a while. But if they do get it right, then like, there's maybe like a Five percent chance in my head that they can challenge us and Man City in the league, um, and actually, you know, sustain a, a, a serious title challenge there. Whereas with Chelsea, I think it was a zero percent chance. I really do.
0: Okay, I do think Chelsea pound for pound, player for player, are are well ahead of Spurs. To be honest, um, do you I don't at the know. you, 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 Thiago Silva, Kunde. Chalaba and Aspeliquera and, and Koulibaly. Koulibaly. Yeah, but they're all very,
1: again, you know? they're very sort of Chelsea names. I would take Romero over any of those at Liverpool.
0: Okay. That that's fine. That's one over five. Are you taking them over Eric Darr? Yes, you are. Yes. Do you know? Um yeah. Reese James. Who else don't get me started on Kovacic because I think he's absolutely amazing and I think yeah. he's probably the player in the Premier League that suits us the best. Uh, Kante. Oh, fitness. Who knows? Um, and then you look at Mason Mount. I don't know what he is, but he's dead good at football. Um, mm. Havertz. Sterling. Berner um, Pulisic, there's somebody else I can't remember now. Um, Ziyech looks like he's away. I think Lukaku probably did them more harm than good last year. Yeah. Um, I think if Tuchel has the opportunity to commit to Havertz as a false nine, then maybe they're a bit more effective. And listen, Raheem Sterling's really, really good. I actually think Raheem Sterling is probably underrated. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So you know that is going to. That's Sterling for Lukaku, does that make them better in an attacking sense? Yeah, it yes. probably does. Kulabali and Koundé for Christensen and Rudiger, does that make them better at centre half? Yes, it probably does. The the
1: the thing is you know, the players that you rattle off there and you mentioned the likes of Sterling's been at a top level for ages, the likes of Kulabali, who I'm not really sure because like Evan raved about him five years ago, but I'm not sure if he's still at the same level. Kounde again as you say, probably one of the most exciting young centre halves coming up. It's it's that it's the big name. It's the it's a superstar player that they that they've got in there every time. The likes of Reese James, well, the Reece James have brought through themselves, but you, you know, when I'm looking at Spurs' squad and I'm looking at Kulosevsky, Basuma Bentenker, Højbjerg, like I could quite easily see those players having the same impact as the, the players you've rattled off with Chelsea there, but they're just different in the in the in the sense in a different way that you're not going to like, I guess, get dead excited about them, or they're not like the coolest players, or they're not the type of player. There's that like a Ted Bully is going to come in and and try and sign because he's trying to make an impact and he's trying to please everyone. and He, he thinks this is the way to do it. That's it's just all a bit off its head at Chelsea, and I think
0: a bit Man United, do you mean?
1: I think, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if if Jeff Chelsea don't get top four next season, to be honest. Like, I think it could go really, really badly wrong for them.
0: Okay, so that brings us to my wee second team. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to get top? I'm glad you got it in. (laughs) I always get it in before somebody else (laughs) does. To Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal looked nailed until the wheels fell off. They basically did a Leicester last year. Yeah. Um, Leicester, the previous two seasons, had looked nailed on for top four and just fell apart. And Arsenal did the same thing. Um, I think they've done fairly sensible business. And for the first time in ages, what Arsenal, in my eyes, I would like to caveat this with... And again, and um, there might be a little bit of confirmation bias working in you know the, the background of my brain here, but I think, um, Gwen has gone and he was gone anyway, but they've got 10 million for him. Lacazette's been released, I think. I think that Arteta liked him, used him, yeah. probably got the best out of him, um, and they brought in Jesus. Fabio Vieira, who I thought played for Wolves, but well, I don't know why I thought that. Um, 30 he does sound like a Wolves player, doesn't he? I know, he's Portuguese, of course he does. <laughs> 30-something million, they brought the centre-half Salah back, who everybody was salivating over. Boom, boom. Right. Um, from loan in Lille, maybe? No, Marseille. Marseille, sorry, thank you. Um, Some guy from Brazil and uh, Zinchenko for 30 million now. The it is Zinchenko done?
1: It, it is, it's, or because like, I looked it up earlier and then you mentioned it and I was like, oh yeah, I did sign for them.
0: But yeah, it's it, coming in. Yeah, I I think it, it's all but it's all but done. Um so I think we can like that now. Zinchenko's a very Arteta Arsenal player. It's He's always, a brilliant player, like Yeah, and it's it's a bit it's a bit of a throwback to like um you know Wenger signing the likes of I know Thomas Rosicky or somebody. You know, mm-hmm. we look at them and go, "That's just a very Arsenal player." Yeah, small, technical, gifted. You know, um, but he can play left back, so we can cover for Tierney, who's perpetually injured. Mm-hmm. Um, we know he's a little bit Emil Smith Rowe, and they seem to be coming down with these kind of number 10-y players. But Gabi Jesus, I think. You know, he has, and with Sinchenko, Arteta, I think has, he's looked at Arsenal and thought the key issue here is there's a cultural problem. Um, he drops and he just takes the captaincy off him, and Aubameyang. I think I'm not sure, Bins Aubameyang off. Gwendozi's the first one out the door. I think he takes one look at him and says, "Out the fuck, son! You're not going to be part of this," and. He's, he's, it's a bit, and it is a bit clop. It's like um, the Abameyang and Guendouzi situation that kind of remind me of the Mamadou Sackle. For Sackle, she's up for that training camp and he's just like, wait, I've had enough of you, guys, you're out. Right. I don't yeah. care how good you are, you're gone. Um, And the opportunities that getting Abameyang off the wage bill and Ozil off the wage bill and Ozil's another one, he just decided not to play, do you remember? Yeah. Um,
1: I really enjoyed that because I really hated Ozil for some reason.
0: I just yeah, was really overrated. Yeah, but just decided you're absolutely not for me, and it's not about how good a footballer you are.
1: Until he dropped him into that League Cup game against our kids where he took the absolute piss. Remember that, the 5-5? Five, five? Yeah, yeah. And he's like two yards from goal, and he like does a wee backheel and sends Seth Vandenberg into the net like it was it was next level but yeah that's the only game I can remember in playing no I think um, like Zinchenko is is a phenomenal signing for them and if like I mentioned earlier and made the comparison to Spurs and actually looking back on it it was a bit rash and probably a bit unfair where I was kind of making a very basic point about them signing city reserves and that's not going to bridge the gap sort of clever signings like presume and all will now I'm not having for one second that Man City have wanted to sell all these players. I think it's like you might have made the point or somebody made the point it was challenging. I said, I said this in the group. They've the been told day. to get their arses in gear, basically, because or otherwise they actually will implement the financial fair play stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of felt like it was a bit, I think I described it as, do you remember when Harry Kane was doing that thing where he shoved his arse in the players and nearly broke their yeah. necks for win a free yeah. kick? was never booked was never penalized for it but all of a sudden he just stopped doing it and it was yeah. kind of like it's harry kane so let's just put him aside and say look harry we've realized that this is out of order and people are starting to click onto it so just stop doing it before we have yeah. to penalize you for
1: it i think it's exactly and,
0: what it is. yeah and that premier league investigation has been going on for two years now i think maybe longer and i get a feeling that they've just been pulled aside and said look guys if you don't start to act like you're balancing the books, we're going to have to step in. And I feel like this is potentially, and obviously this is all conjecture from my perspective, but um, it looks like, Ster- like Sterling, Jesus and Zinchenko. It's not Ache like. as well? as Aki going? No, I think Aki's staying Ache's now, now, but I, it's not like their legs are falling off, you know? No. Sterling didn't want to sign a new contract, that's fine. Sincenco and Jesus. And I think the thing with this is, with Arsenal, is Arteta knows those two players, and it feeds into the cultural thing. He can use those guys to continue to set that example, to come in and do exactly what he wants to do. And, I don't know, Andy, there, there is real talent in that Arsenal squad, useful talent And this might not be their season and the next season and the next season and the next season. But I do genuinely think if the whole club fan base ownership buy into that, there could be something there to build on over two or three years.
1: I think you're right. And on those players that City have sold there, if they actually have found a niche or like a bit of an arbitrage in the transfer window, whereby they've actually cottoned on to something which Man City aren't just getting rid of players that they don't want to keep around anymore. They need to get off the wage bill. If they're actually signing players that Man City wanted to keep, then that's a little, that could be a really key niche for teams like that to try and, in Arsenal's case, certainly, first of all, get themselves into the top four. And, like, is Zinchenko, I saw him playing a game against um, Scotland in the with the World Cup qualifier, the World Cup playoff recently, and Zinchenko was playing in the midfield and I was just watching him thinking, you are a glorious footballer. And too often he's just been kind of shoehorned out into left back from Man City, where Cancelo's been, and we all know the Pep. I think Pep said himself before he, but his dreams to play a game with eleven midfielders someday, and obviously he loves the the fullbacks as midfielders so he can come in and basically make a six in there. But then the other side of that is that Zinchenko's not a natural defender, and so like for example, Salah at Wembley absolutely murders him. Um, and if you know, I don't think he's going to be playing left back for for Arsenal. I think he's going to play midfield. I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, we don't know what's going on with Partey, obviously. Um, Jesus again, very Arteta type player because he was a very Guardiola type player in terms of the, in terms of like how he presses, how he runs, the little intelligent movement he makes. Uh, I was surprised he didn't play more for Man City, but maybe we'll see why. Maybe we'll not. And yeah, I don't know anything about Vera at all. Um, but for thirty million, you know, could go well for them. It's not that much of a risk in 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 modern transfer fee chat. But yeah, no, they're they're definitely building something there, and that's what it has to be. It's not the idea of kind of what we're seeing at Chelsea and maybe to an extent with Spurs. But I feel like at least Spurs are open and brazen about the fact that Conte is going to be gone for two years, and they're in it for the now and they're living for the now. Everyone else has to build for for years and years down the line, and there's there's five year plans, there's ten year plans, there's a hundred year plans at, at certain clubs, and Arsenal seem to be you know very much doing that. And if Mikel Arteta, I always think about managers, and I think I always say this about like for example when we talk about Northern Ireland managers, the idea of getting the young manager at the start of his career, possibly on the crest of a wave, who could be absolutely amazing. Um. And then you've got basically a manager above your level, then, or it could be an absolute disaster, in which case you know the the consequences are far worse. Or you go for the the kind of experienced head who's definitely at your level, and you know he'll probably do okay, but it'll all be a little bit average. Arteta is that kind of crest of a wave. If he is destined to be this brilliant manager and is Pep Guardiola's protege, then if he's on that crest of a wave, then and and I feel like that's more exciting. If you're following your team, you want that. You want the um, the hope and the you know, thinking that this might be absolutely amazing the way this has been for Klopp at Liverpool, rather than just a sort of average thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's exciting times to be a an Arsenal fan, but I don't think they'll get top four. And I'm now gonna sort of lead you on to actually saying it.
0: <laughs> okay, so I think this is really interesting. I think just briefly on the Jesus sinchenko signings, um. There is a parallel to be drawn with the Milner signing from City to Liverpool where, although it didn't kind of work out the way that he thought, the rumour was he came to Liverpool because he was going to be able to play midfield. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus has been farmed out the left, out the right, hasn't been able to play as a centre-forward. We know that Arteta is going to play him as a centre-forward, as a number nine. And with the World, com- World Cup coming up, um, that's got to be a huge attraction for him to make that switch, yeah. particularly as he has this awful monkey on his back about being the only Brazil number nine to never to play in a World Cup and not score a goal or something ridiculous like that. And similarly with Zinchenko, um, you could probably count in one hand the number of times he's played in midfield for Manchester City and, and that's where he maybe wants to play, that's where he sees his future, and he's got an opportunity now to play on a side that suits his style of play for a manager that understands how to get the best out of him, knows him, he knows um he knows the manager. Um and he will be able to progress his what he sees as his career. So I think those are all factors that feed into those signings as well. I think you say you don't think Arsenal are going. Arsenal probably won't get top four. You also said that. Not sure Chelsea will get top four. So when yeah. you said United are going to get top four. I think.
1: Yeah, I think I think Arsenal might just be. A solid sixth, again, where in patches they'll look good, in certain games they'll look good, but there's just one of that consistency. Yeah, I didn't actually think when I said Chelsea might knock a top four that somebody actually does have to finish
0: fourth in the league. There is someone there, There yeah. is.
1: Yeah, so it probably will be Chelsea, but not because they're the fourth best team in the country, clearly. If that makes sense, they'll get it because nobody else wants it the way it has always kind of been and always looks. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it it has been like that the last few years. You know, Leicester threw it away one year and Mm. United snuck in twice. Even, even like the year we got it there with Williams and Phillips,
1: okay, it was well, not last year, yeah, two years ago, yeah, like. It ridiculous! We should not have finished fourth. Oh, we don't write to some, fourth that year. You. you know, but I feel it. like we I feel like we forget that actually the team that finishes fourth and the teams in the top four race actually lose and drop points in loads of games because you know if you're winning every week you're up on Man City and Liverpool. So if you're like, yeah. we forgot about that and we forget about that when we're talking about like top four of these teams. Like I'm thinking can Arsenal and Arsenal definitely aren't going to get top four, but I'm probably judging them up against like you know to the standard of Liverpool and Man City. And having it's to win weird. pretty much every week, which yeah. isn't
0: what you have to do. The third and fourth race now is almost like what the title race used to be, where you're you're looking at maybe 85, 86 points yeah. sometimes, you know. Um, maybe, maybe 82, 79 points has won the league on occasions, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And teams do drop points, and that's why run ins used to be exciting, and that's why we always used to talk about blips and we always used to talk about twists, you know, because inevitably teams would draw points and teams would lose games um, whenever you thought that they wouldn't. Like, you know, if you want to go all the way back to 95 when when Blackburn won the league, Mm -hmm. on the last game of the season, all Blackburn need to do is win against Liverpool and they lose. And if they lost, United just needed points against West Ham, and they lost as well. Like, that's absurd. That would never happen with Liverpool and Manchester City now, ever. It almost did, though, didn't
1: it, with the Wolves? And I was convinced that they were going to lose to Villa and we weren't going to beat Wolves. But yeah, you're
0: right, that doesn't ultimately happen. But it didn't happen, and that's kind of the point, you know what I mean? If that was 15 years ago, maybe maybe both City and Liverpool would have lost. Um. But they don't because the standards are obscene right now. But, yeah, I think, um, honestly, I think if you if you were to remove Manchester City and Liverpool from the Premier League next season, it would be a lot more interesting than it would be with City and Liverpool in the, in the Premier League. Because you have yeah. four teams there and you don't really know what the fuck's going to happen with them.
1: Yeah, no, completely. And um, like, like I say, there's it's so unfair. We always talk about how it's so unfair to Klopp. The sense that, you know, if it's kind of like what everyone always said about Andy Murray growing up in the era of Djokovic and Nadal and Federer, where basically if Andy Murray was born 10 years either side of that, he would have about 20 grand slams because he's absolutely phenomenal. And simul- simultaneously, like, Liverpool should have five titles and, you know, Three or four domestic cups under Klopp, the level we've been at. But obviously, because we're up against this Man City team, we haven't. And it's unfair on us, but it's really unfair on every other team. You can basically just forget about ever winning a league until those two get off. Like that really is the way it is in the most second out for is top four. Um, but I, like as you say, we're. we're well, as I was saying, we got caught out by it when we assumed that we were out of the top four race because we're so used to any drop points being a disaster. And that's not the case for the likes of Arsenal, for the likes of Spurs, for the likes of Chelsea. And I'm not really sure how to analyse it. It's very hard for us to analyse it for, because for like three or four years we've been analysing everything Liverpool do and everything Man City do from the perspective of how we pretty much just win every week and how do we build a team to do that. That's not the question Arteta's asking. It's not the question Conte's asking. Well, it maybe if he wants to bridge that gap. It's not t- it's not the question Tuchel's asking. Um and you almost have to analyze them and talk about them and how they're building their squads and their, their culture and their club in a different way, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it, it makes total sense. Um and clubs are now starting to there is a, there is a, a possibility. That football is going to get really, really boring because the things that have separated Manchester City and Liverpool from the rest is this meticulous, analytical, methodical approach. Mm -hmm. And some clubs are now starting to click onto that. And if the right clubs with the right budget click onto that, then there will be no chance of upsets smaller teams breaking into even even what West Ham have done, you know, in recent the last couple of seasons. Um like the reason PSG are just an absolute joke is because if they did things the right way, they'd be untouchable. Mm-hmm. You know? They'd be absolutely untouchable. Manchester City tried to do things the right way and from an analytical and, and player recruitment point of view but ultimately they're still at the whim of the manager who wants to sign like 40 fullbacks a season and that's not for me to be disparaging of Guardiola because I'm one of his biggest fans but you know within his vision a bit like Bielsa of the way football should be played there is a flaw there um, where winning isn't enough it has to be done in a specific way Mm -hmm. so Sooner or later, I think you will have the likes of an Ancelotti um, and a setup like City and Liverpool have that will just be a robotic force. So enjoy it while you can, folks, because the romance is nearly dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's the point that everyone's been making. You look at the, the French League and there's absolutely nothing there. and PSG walk it every year well they don't actually but they should and they do most of the time
0: um, PSG's wage bill is 40% of the wage bill in Liga
1: yeah it is it is it is absolutely often said
0: and like they're just an absolute basket kiss of a club um, really, it's, really probably, it's actually probably more now after that recent Mbappe um, contract
1: yeah and when Alden's on about 400 grand a week and they all hate him and it, like it's just there, there seems to
0: be well, there is no structure behind it whatsoever. Um, the, and there's you know, not even a team that can take advantage of that complete mismanagement the way teams have taken advantage of the mismanagement of Juventus, for example. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, you know, yeah, it was just, you, you look at the French league and it's, you know, the grounds are half empty every week and almost it's the best way you can sort of. um the best way you can sort of describe it in terms of how modern football it all is in France, or even in Spain as well, was that when you almost teams were happy to pay for Messi to stay at Barcelona, so basically every time that the once a season that Messi turned up to their hometown, they could pack out the stadium (laughs) and get loads of revenue. Um, You know, they know they're never going to catch them. They know that the level's far too much and they actually would rather have more of a chance of getting beat so the money can come in for that attraction and that superstar. um, And that's, you know, that's almost better than, oh, actually, when we play Barcelona next season, we might get some points here, oh, might be a bit better. You know, and that's the sad sort of reality. of You look at that, you look at the um you know, Spanish league, even recently, the last couple of years, has been walked by Real Madrid, obviously with Barcelona. Um, but even before that, it was a two-team league until sort of Atletico came in and did something. All the European leagues, more or less, either that top team isn't, isn't doing what they should be doing and therefore you kind of get like a Serie a situation where who won it now was Inter but there was like AC Milan were top of the league for ages Milan, and they were rubbish Milan, and they're, they're not a good team you know they're not a good team well look what we did too exactly you know um, and you know and we are fairly comfortable against Inter so you either get a you either get a, a competitive league where the level's just so low compared to where it maybe used to be like I'd say that in Spain now, even though Real Madrid won the Champions League, they're nowhere near the standard of like what Barcelona and Real Madrid were ten years ago. They're just nowhere near it. And um, and then what other year? What other leagues are there? Is definitely another league, Germany, again. And without Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, that the Premier League would be the exact same thing. And when Liverpool have an off season, I know as we've done a couple of times, the Premier League is exactly that, and it's so so boring. Yeah. Um, and. I feel yeah. like if Klopp was to leave tomorrow, there'd be a lot of people over the next you know, five, ten years who actually didn't realise how good they had it in terms of having a title race every year, because I think that would go out the window very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, if it wasn't for Liverpool, Manchester City would just be banned under PSG. Literally. And everybody would be bored. And people could level that criticism the other way around if it wasn't for... City, Liverpool would be PSD around but actually I don't think that's the case because it's City who have driven us to levels that I don't think we would have achieved um, if, I think if, if it wasn't for Manchester City we'd be winning leagues on 86, 88, 90 points not on 100 points or 99 points but yeah, that's where we are alright so Andy top 4 what's your top 4 in order next season? Uh,
1: Liverpool, I'm more confident with us winning the league than we I've I've been for a long long time. For another podcast anyway, Man City second, and um, then a good bit of a gap. Well, big ten points then Spurs, and then like just an absolute horror show of a dogfight for that fourth place where everyone's crap. And do you know what? Just for the hell of it, let's say like let's not go for any of those three, and let's go for like. Mm, Leicester aren't going to do it because Rodgers is throwing the toys out of the pram there. Let's go for like
0: Villa. Oh Villa. Villa. Alright, okay. All <laughs> just right. just because
1: I don't want to just flip a coin between those three because I think they're all crap so I might as well just put my neck out there. And you're going to say Arsenal and everyone's going to laugh at you anyway and forget what I've said. So
0: No, I'm not going to say Arsenal fourth. Nope. I'm going to go Liverpool first Arsenal second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Um it's honestly it's really tough. Um I, I I can't I can't I can't not believe in the Artara project. I don't know why. I just honestly it yeah, it annoys me because I just think there's something there. Um
1: There is, there's no doubt there
0: is something. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Arsenal third. I'm gonna go Chelsea fourth. I'm gonna oh. say Spurs miss out because I'm gonna really? say yeah, yeah. God, I can't believe you're putting Spurs below Arsenal. Yeah, I am. I just feel like I just feel like Spurs with Champions League. Conte notoriously struggles with European football. Um, and as I've said, I, I think, although they've really strengthened that 11, um, I think what's behind that 11 is probably weaker than any of the other six sides. Mm-hmm. So that is my logic behind that. Um, I don't think when Ben occurs is out for three weeks or, or Basuma is out for six weeks that Oliver Skipper Harry Winks are going to come in and, and be You able don't
1: to, like Oliver Skip, do you? You've name-dropped him in the shout about five times Fair play. I know, one's it's a real shit name
0: as well, do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's
1: a real Tory sort of isn't it? know, it's it's sort it's a football manager region. Oliver
0: Skip, Harry Winks, Troy Parrott, they sound like made-up football manager names that yeah. are, you know, I, I just think that inevitably there will be injuries. Inevitably you will have and out for six, eight weeks. Um, and yeah, I just feel like they will go through a patch where they eight games, two wins, and like six or seven draws or something like that. Um, and they'll probably still come top of that mm-hmm. league of top six or whatever it is. So yeah, there's our hot take, folks. Um, Arsenal and Spurs are both dead good, but still not good enough. Um, so what we'll do, we will. Come around to talk about Manchester City and some weird business they've been doing, which is like actually selling players for money. Uh, Bizarre. Um, And then we'll talk about the mighty reds. And the, the next coming of, I don't know, Fernando Torres and Ian Rush and Ken Dudley combined. That sounds about right. Four goals in 45 minutes. Yeah. The evolution of the front three. All right then, so until the next time, up the Darwin, Nunez scores four in 45 minutes, Reds.